So I've been going to a lot of good shows recently. About a month ago, I saw Hatebreed here in town. I've been to some nice local hardcore and metalcore shows. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about a favorite pastime of ours at our metal and hardcore shows that many of us enjoy and indulge in, the old-timey practice of moshing. And I have a pretty interesting personal mosh pit story of mine that happened to me a number of years ago. Uh, 2017 at Louder Than Life Festival in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I was in the mosh pit uh, during Of Mice and Men set. Uh, this was around the midpoint of the day when the crowds first started getting a little bit thicker. And uh, the whole, the band's performance that day was like really great, the real high energy, the crowd was into it. And I remember I was in the mosh pit knocking around heads, like running around being crazy, like not running into people. And in the mosh pit, uh, there was this girl that was there that was knocking around heads just as easily as I was. She was this six foot two uh, black girl with long ass braids, but built like a power lifter. She was big, but not really fat. She was built solid and was knocking the fuck out of people left and right all around that pit just as well as I was, if not more so. And during of my cinnamon set, uh, they had a, they called for a wall of death. And I remember, I think it was on their song Sick. And they were doing a whole like build up for like the last little uh, like breakdown part thing. And I was on one side of the wall of death. And this girl was on the opposite side looking straight at me. Doing the whole like pointing at the eyes thing. Saying like, I see you and I'm going to run into you and all that stuff. And like I was a little bit intimidated. A little bit scared. And also a little bit aroused. She was kind of hot. And her being a knock around a few heads kind of hot for some reason. Don't judge. And the band kicks in. Both sides charge into each other. And she managed to get a little bit lower than I did. Knocked me off my like balance and knocked me straight on my ass. And it was a little bit of an embarrassing moment getting knocked down that hard. I was helped up by like everybody that was around. Uh, and it was a good, fun time, and I don't think there was really too many more mosh pits at that festival, as the crowd got a little bit too thick uh, as the rest of that night went on. But I remember that was just a real interesting story. Like, you meet a lot of interesting people in the pit at shows. People that you've never met before, you start, like, dancing around, like, high-fiving each other, just like you've been old-time friends. And I lost sight of that girl for the rest of the festival, but I gotta say... If you're out there listening to this podcast somewhere, somehow, give me an email. Give me a call. Give me a number. Just just, just a little bit. <laughs> Greetings, hard and heavy music fans. Welcome to episode six of the Heavy Haystack Podcast. I'm your host, Dante, and the date today is November 27th, 2022. And we have quite the show here for you all. I know that it's been a good long time since I've recorded a podcast. I've been very busy, mixed with a nice combination of uh, procrastination as I try to get better at this whole podcasting business that I'm trying to do. Uh, But we have, uh, this is going to be a news uh, episode mostly talking about the uh, new 
uh, stuff that's happened in uh, recent uh, weeks in the metal and heavy music world, as well as telling you about the new albums and singles that have been released uh, recently. With uh, a few of the stories that I'll be going over being the uh, like the Grammy Awards for metal and rock have been announced. Well, the Grammy Awards in general have been announced, but the only stuff we care about here are the metal and rock awards that are relevant to what you all listen to. Uh, we also have some other like news stories to talk about things like uh, see uh, about like Ticketmaster being like dicks and all that stuff. But we'll get to that. But before that, want to talk about uh, some live shows that I've been to recently. Uh, about a month ago, uh, I went to see a date here in Lexington, Kentucky, where I'm from, uh, as part of Hatebreed's. I think it's 25th anniversary tour for perseverance i feel like they've been doing anniversary tours for like the past five years now because uh, there was the 20th anniversary of their uh or was it the 25th yeah it was, no it was the 20th anniversary for their debut album satisfaction is the death of desire i've went to a few shows of the tours on that uh as well as the i think at the time it was the 15th anniversary of perseverance and now it is the 20th anniversary of perseverance very similar seminal albums in the hardcore world and ones that uh, are definitely meant should be celebrated and hate breeds been making full use of that uh, on their recent tours in the past half decade uh, and here they played at Manchester Music Hall here in Lexington Kentucky with a very stacked lineup of strong up-and-coming bands uh, alongside hate breed headlining there was gate creeper uh, body snatcher and dying wish. And I was there to see the whole show. They played here on a Wednesday evening, a very cold Wednesday evening. And I went there and caught the show right as it was about to start. A Dying Wish <clears throat> was the band that kicked things off. And they've been a band that I've heard about, uh, like in metal circles. Like I've seen them in a few articles as like one of the up and coming hardcore bands that are on the rise right now. They have a. Uh, they have a sound very reminiscent of early 2000s metalcore. That stuff that was influenced by At The Gates and In Flames and has a sound that's really reminiscent of that that early 2000s sound where bands like Killswitch Engage and As I Lay Dying came up. And it's really nice because like everything, it just kind of proves that everything is cyclical. That's a word. Cyclical. As far as uh, trends go. Because metalcore, of course, as we know now, has become like the most popular modern genre of metal, pretty much. Uh, there's like so many bands, like many bands that have become like so influential to metal in general that came out of the metalcore world in the early 2000s. And it became such a popular genre that the genre actually got oversaturated with all these bands doing this type of sound. Uh, and it was just, and there were just so many. There was like so many bands, and there were not many creative ones that were just doing the same formula of scream the like verses, sing the choruses, uh, and have your like little like Iron Maiden uh, at the gates guitar leads and stuff over some breakdowns. And that was the formula. A ton of bands did it, but nowadays, like most bands are doing like the jet core thing, basically everybody ripping off Architects in one way or another. Uh, or doing like a generic deathcore thing or something along those lines. Uh, Dying Wish, they are like I've only listened to a little bit of their stuff, but their stuff is really good. Uh, I can't recall the names of any of the members. Uh, they 
uh, put on a really good show. It's a pretty uh, intimidating thing for a newer, younger band to open up for a band as big as Hatebreed and have to uh, rile up the crowd uh, going out first on a Wednesday evening in Kentucky. Uh, but it was a real packed show. It was like a good, that place was like nearly full. I think it's a thousand cap room and that room was near to the brim. I'm surprised it didn't sell out. Uh, if it was on a weekend, that definitely would have sold out. Cause the last time Hatebreed played that venue, it was sold out completely. And I was at that one as well, way, way back in 2013, uh, back when the venue had a different name. And Dying Witch was really good. Like I, like it was like a big, huge uh, nostalgia feeling I had for like my teenage years when I first got into metalcore, because it had like the classic, like the nice twin guitar harmonies. They had the uh, synchronized head banging shit going on, which was it, it's still a little bit of like a it's a little bit cringe, but it's it's fun. It's kind of like a the nostalgia like band without being a nostalgia band because they're all like young band. They're like all younger than me in their twenties, I think. Uh, their vocalist uh, was like real good and had a whole lot of personality about her. Uh, she came out in this like kind of gothic cheerleader getup. Uh, she had like a black fluffy tutu skirt thing, and I think she had like blonde hair with like a black dyed streak in it and stuff. Um, she was like real high energy, jumping across the stage, doing like high kicks and shit, and getting the crowd all riled up. And they got a few mosh pits even going for the start of the show. Uh, and they were like real entertaining. They had a lot of people at their merch booth. And I'd say that they made, did a really good job of kicking that show off real strongly. Uh, second on the list was Body Snatcher, who I have heard a little bit of before. Uh, I had some personal friends that were at the show who were there, like mostly for Body Snatcher. And they're a band of the like, I don't know, they're like the heavy, hardcore like really angry, angry, like hardcore, just like shouting at you in the face, making like deep vocals, but not quite deathcore, but definitely amongst like the beat down hardcore vibe. And the production of their live show was like sound wise, was so goddamn loud. Like every drum hit, every like guitar chug was just low end heaviness, bass, bass, bass everywhere. And the vocalist, like, he had, like, a sense of humor about him uh, while also, like, being pretty commanding on stage. Uh, he has a lot of power to his voice. Uh, and they really, like, brought it. Like, that was when the mosh pits were seriously getting underway when they started going around. And the best way, like, the best possible way that their set, like, could ca could end ended well because right during the middle of, their, of the last song of their set, the PA system blew. And... Everything, all the instruments that were hooked up to the PA went out. The drum microphones went out. The bass went out. I think the, like, no, the bass was still going, but the guitars went out and the vocals went out. And like, it was pretty nuts. Like, they, it wasn't even disappointing because their set was already almost over. It just was kind of like a testament to the power of Body Snatcher. With how much sound and volume and force they were putting through the speakers that they managed to blow something. Uh... So they ended it like that. They like thank the audience with the singer having like to shout out with his own voice over the crowd to be able to be heard. And that set ended real well. Uh, it was really memorable. Uh, after them was Gate Creeper, who was personally who I was most excited to see besides Haybreed. I've seen Haybreed like six, seven times at this point. But uh, this was my first time seeing Gate Creeper. And they're definitely one of my favorite newer bands in the scene. 
as well as uh, a very popular band in general. They are part of the modern wave of old school death metal. Uh, they've just been making a whole lot of waves. I remember earlier, I think it was yeah, it was last year when they released the uh, a surprise album on. Uh, what was the name of that label? A Close Casket Activities. Yeah, this prize dropped a kind of a grindcore record. Uh, but they're most known for being like kind of a straight up death metal band with a lot of doom elements mixed in. And like they were kind of like the outlier sound wise on this bill of all straight up hardcore bands. But most of these modern death metal bands that you see nowadays are essentially just hardcore kids playing death metal. So it's a lot of death metal that's like not really focused on being overly technical, but just like heavy riffs. And lots of groove, which has made it made like a, for a whole scene of like gateway death metal bands for a new generation of like heavy music people. And Gate Creeper was great because like they were a nice switch up in vibe from the other bands that are more closer to straight up hardcore. But with Gate Creeper, uh, with their sound being so heavily influenced by Doom. Uh, and playing on a stage that big, because like the Manchester Music Hall stage is like highly raised, and it's a really big echoey room. And with them being very slower, very thick wall of sound production with how they do things, it made it feel like an arena show, uh, but death metal in in a thousand cap room, and it was amazing. They sounded great. They the riffs and songs were excellent. Uh, they had like little surprise dalliances of like songs from their latest grindcore ish type of record, which were nice little like moshy bits mixed in with all the slower, groovy, doomy death metal stuff. Uh, and they put they were like definitely a favorite to see, and I'm real glad to see them. I bought a shirt from them. Uh, so now I'm going to be one of those jackals you see around that were like, if there's a new band shirt you see at a death metal show all the time these days, it's a gay creeper. And it's because the shirt game is pretty much on point. And then finally, we had the good old mighty hate breed come out with frontman Jamie Jossa sporting the sweet mullet that I've been wanting to see in person for so long now. And it's great. Like the mullet actually works pretty well on him. It kind of fits his vibe with like his... I think he had like a bitch away shirt on, camel shorts, his like usual get up. Uh, but they were playing a set that was, of course, considering this being an anniversary show, uh, very heavily uh, from their Perseverance and Satisfaction albums. But they played a few more of their other hits as well, uh, besides just from those two albums. Because they played stuff like uh, Looking Down the Barrel of Today. They played uh, Live for This, which is really hype. Uh, they played uh, a few other hits of theirs. Uh, I'm pretty sure they played Everyone Bleeds Now as well. Uh, the first Hatebreed song I heard ever was In Ashes They Shall Reap, which I'm sad they did not play that in the set list. But it was still a very good show. There's never a bad Hatebreed show that I've seen. I've seen them a good like seven, t- six or seven times by this point uh, over the past number of years. And it was like real high energy. Like I was moshing and sweating the whole time. I had there was a point where I had my battle vest like off and like swinging it around over my head, uh, doing circle pits the entire freaking time. Uh, I didn't die of like heat stroke or anything in the pit, surprisingly, despite being a little bit out of like cardio shape. Uh, but it all worked out real well. That show was a real fun time and worth uh, going out on a Wednesday night for. Uh, we usually don't get a lot of the bigger sh- metal shows coming here through Lexington. Uh, most of the time, they'll either go to Louisville or you have to go up to Cincinnati for them. Uh, 
but here it, we had like a it was fun like they were finally coming back to lexington after what has it been nine years i think was the last time they played lexington proper uh so this was it was a real fun show i was happy to see him and that show was like quite excellent i'd give it a, a it's a, it's a top-notch uh event uh with a leader the leaders of the hardcore metalcore scene as well as a whole lot of new up-and-comers it was a good mixture uh and more recently i saw uh actually it was just this past friday i'm recording this on sunday the november 27th i uh, hope y'all had a good thanksgiving by the way uh we i went to louisville to see corrosion of conformity spirit adrift and the native how at headliners music hall up in louisville kentucky on black friday and uh this show was real uh entertaining like i've it's a nice switch up from like the usual moshi shows that i go to because uh, these are all bands that i uh, definitely enjoy but haven't like dove too deep in uh not as deep as i should have uh, of course corrosion of conformity like everybody knows i know best from their uh deliverance album back in the 90s and prepping for the show i've listened to their uh their earlier album that's real big from 91 i forget the title of it but it's the one with vote with a bullet on it as well as their a uh, few of their other thrasher hits uh spirit of drift was the main band i was excited to see here and the native Hal as well actually who opened uh i got there right as the native Hal was uh beginning their set and if you don't know the native Hal, i been wanting to see native how for a number of years now since i think it was 2016 when they released their first real big song uh called thrash grass uh if you don't know native how is a band from detroit michigan that plays uh essentially plays bluegrass music with a uh, heavy metal level of energy uh they have a live drummer and they have uh guys playing acoustic guitar banjo mandolin and like real traditional folk instruments, like no electric anything. Uh, they do have like their stuff plugged into like PA speakers and with pickups and stuff, but it's all fully acoustic. Uh, but they play it with just like so much energy and aggression that it's like the heavy. It's basically like an unplugged, like an MTV unplugged uh, set, but that's like their main sound which is a pretty interesting thing. And they fit on this bill pretty well because uh, they have, like, it's bluegrass, but, like, it's just sped up real fast with the thrash metal energy, which they call their style Thrashgrass, which is also the name of the first uh, single that they really started blowing up with. And I just remember seeing the music video for it, like, years ago and thinking that's a real interesting combination, and they do it really well. Uh, and it was also kind of interesting how they introduced each one of the songs because apparently they have a lot of songs about... Uh, running booze or running like drugs or something because uh, like the they have a new song uh, called the sons of destruction that they played around the middle part of the set and like apparently that song is about a uh, a fictionalized 2020 where the government's outlawed booze again and it's like a heroic tale of these uh, alcohol bootleggers like running like booze in like an old Cadillac car or something. Uh, it's like nice little like Southern rock thing. And something that really stood out with the name of how is that they're like vocally live. They're great. Uh, I forget the front man's name. Should have looked this information up, uh, but uh, he has a real strong, uh, soulful voice uh, that he has real strong command of live. And especially with them being an all acoustic band, 
uh, that's something that's real important because the vocals stand out a lot more. You can't hide behind a wall of distorted guitars when you're playing all acoustic. Uh, and they also do a whole lot of vocal harmonies back and forth with the other members, and it all comes off really well. Uh, and for and if you're they're playing a room like this room's also like another I think thousand cap room, but it's like really tall with like balconies and such. Uh, so there's a lot of room for stuff to echo, and it, I was thinking that if it's not if the sound isn't handled well, it possibly could have been uh, feel a little bit empty with them being an all acoustic band. But with a live drummer and the uh, and the good vocal harmonies that they mix in with their sound, it comes off really well. Uh, I remember like I made a joke on Twitter uh, where I said that. Uh, it's like, uh, what does if someone were to ask, what does the native howl sound like, or what's a native howl show like? And I say, have you ever mosh, like like went in a mosh pit with the banjo solo playing? <laughs> That's essentially what their sound is like. Uh, I was really entertained. They have like a uh, they do a Metallica cover of Harvester of Sorrow with like banjo as the lead instrument, which is pretty cool. And the clothes under Big Head Thrash Grass, and the whole crowd seemed to love it. Uh, I had a lot of fun with them, and their set was amazing. Uh, the band I was mainly there to see was the second band to go on, Spirit Adrift. Spirit Adrift, who's been making uh, a lot of waves in like the uh, underground metal scene with their sound that's real reminiscent of classic 80s metal. Like They have a lot of influences from the likes of uh, Dio and Black Sabbath. Uh, it's kind of like classic 80s rockin' heavy metal with uh, some real like gritty uh, vocal stylings. It's kind of, the lead singer, his voice is kind of uh, reminiscent of Troy Sanders from Mastodon. So it has uh, that grit in his voice that appeals to modern metal fans, but they have like classic style riffs, which appeals to metal fans of all ages. And <clears throat> I'm not super familiar with their uh, discography, but like I do know their three biggest songs, uh, where they have like Sorcerer's Fate, and I have another one called like Mass Hysteria or something. And my favorite song of theirs is a song that got me into them, Riders in the Light. Uh, I'm pretty sure they opened up with uh, Mass Hysteria. Uh, and like the guitars and all that were sounding real chunky. They have a whole lot of cool uh, twin lead vo uh, guitar harmonies that go on. Uh, the singer's voice, though, uh, I noticed that his vocally, he does not try to sound exactly like he does on the album. Uh, interesting. Like, it still sounds like strong, but his like cadences were kind of weird. Uh, and me, like, knowing how the uh, vocal sound on record. Uh, hearing it live, it's a little bit jarring. Uh, it's like it, it wasn't bad, but like it just was a little bit jarring because he didn't sound like he was either messing up his timing or just didn't care about the timing of his vocals. Uh, but he still kind of gave it like the energy and oomph it did. Uh, just like you could tell that a lot of his vocals are harmonized on record, where he's doing a whole lot of like uh, harmonizing with himself to like make his vocal sound a lot more full. Uh, and live, they just do that with like some reverb, uh, but it does sound like a little bit, it just sounds a little bit different vocally, but the guitar work was all on point. They were like no misses or mess ups on that front. I was thinking it was a little weird that they played Riders in the Light kind of in the middle of the set, because that seems more like a closer. Because uh, I think Sorcerer's Fate's their biggest song right now, but Riders in the Light just like fits real well as a closing song, because it's just epic. It just sounds like freaking... Knights on horseback galloping into battle, and it's fucking awesome. And I still play that song non-fucking-stop all the time now. Uh, 
But yeah, their set went real well, and following them was good old Corrosion on Conformity with Pepper Keenan uh, fronting the band in tow. Uh, they played all the hits. Albatross, like, Vote with a Bullet, uh, Clean My Wounds. They closed on Clean My Wounds, and the whole crowd was in it. It was jumping, it was packed, and it was just a real nice, strong rock show uh, that I found really enjoyable. Uh, it's definitely a tour that you want to see. I think they are nearing the end of it, but I think they have a few dates left uh, before uh, that go towards like the middle of December. Uh, but if they have a date near you, you should definitely go see it. It's a nice, good rock show. And it's nice to go to something a little bit more chill every once in a while. Not everything's got to be breakdowns and mosh pits all the goddamn time. Uh, and that does it really for like the live shows that I've seen recently. Uh But before I get into the heavy music news, uh, we have a show sponsor. Uh, Like with this show, I like to like promote uh, smaller bands and have their music be heard on the podcast and introduce some uh, new bands to all of you listening that you might not hear otherwise. Uh, So for this one, oh, and if you want to be a podcast sponsor, uh, just send an email to theheavyhaystack at gmail.com. And you can uh, get your song possibly listed on the podcast as well. And you can like message me on any of my other social media at the Heavy Haystack, usually, whether it be Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Uh, just send me a song with a little bit of information about yourself, links to where people can find you and your merch, uh, so you can have your song heard here on the podcast. But this uh, band I'm going to play for you is a band called Eulogy in Blood with their song called Axe to Grind.
Oh yeah, that was Eulogy in Blood with this song Axe to Grind. <laughs> Those guitars are tuned so goddamn low. Those are tuned to like what, drop Q or some bullshit. Uh, but yeah, that was fucking awesome. Uh, Eulogy and Blood is a band from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, and they s- call themselves Kentucky Sledge Metal. Um, but the nice mixture of like death metal and sludge and groove all mixed into there for a nice, uh, nice groovy, heavy package that I like that song a whole lot. Uh, I, my own band Storm Toker got to play with them. I think only once, uh, on a, uh, local festival, uh, few years ago might have been like 2018 2019 and they're really great uh definitely a band that you should uh listen to they have one ep called uh, human stain that was released back in 2019 and a full-length album called natural selection that was released last year in 2021 and if you want to find their merch listen to their music support the band you can find them at eulogyandblood.bandcamp.com make sure you Follow them, give them a listen, and enjoy more of their music. Now, with that out of the way, uh, let's get on to the heavy music news. Before I get into the Grammy Award nominations, first let's talk a little bit about the American Music Awards, which were held, uh, I believe, last weekend it was. And in that category, there was the uh, Ghost was nominated for a new category at the American Music Awards for Best Rock Album. Uh, and they won, actually won the fav- Best Rock Album, uh, or Favorite Rock Album, as the award is officially called, for their album Impera that came out earlier this year. Uh, and it's really cool that Ghost uh, is getting all these mainstream looks recently. Uh with like getting they're having their uh, Marriott Cross song go viral on TikTok, which has gone huge. Uh, friggin' old Papa Meredith, aka Tobias Forge, uh, did the opening pitch at a White Sox baseball game for some weird reason. That's was just odd. Uh, and now they've won the award for best uh, rock album at the American Music Awards. But it sounds like a nice little cool little mainstream look at first. But looking at the competition. Uh, thank goodness that they won it. Otherwise, it would pretty much hurt the already uh, dodgy credibility of the American Music Awards. Because besides Ghost, uh, who won the award, the other albums that were nominated were done by Coldplay, Imagine Dragons, Machine Gun Kelly, and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, none of those albums... Well, okay, to be fair, I haven't heard the Coldplay or Imagine Dragon albums. But you can probably guess how good, quotation marks, those albums could be. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly's album, Mainstream Sellout, I did listen to. And it's definitely not award-worthy, to say the least. And Red Hot Chili Peppers and Limited Love, uh, I listened to that as well. And if you want to... If you're big on taking Xanax and being a little uber chilled out for a so-called rock album, uh, that one doesn't really deserve to be nominated either. So thankfully, a good album, uh, Ghosts in Para, like, managed to win that award. Uh, but now let's get into the Grammys. Uh, the Grammys are always an interesting topic in the metal world every year because metal's, like, relationship with the mainstream's always uh, been interesting. Uh, all the way from the beginning, when the Grammys first announced an award for uh, best metal performance or best uh, 
metal song or however they word the award back in that day. Uh, that was when Metallica was up for, I believe it was in Justice for All. Uh, it was in Justice for All or Master of Puppets. I forget which. All I remember, though, the thing that everybody remembers is that Metallica lost to Jethro Tull for best metal award of that year. And it's just been a dodgy history for metal at the Grammys ever since. Uh, and the way that metal fans and like the community at large kind of react to the awards, it's, it's weird. It's like, we always talk about how like dumb the award shows are and how they're just dumb popularity contest, uh, how these awards don't understand metal, which is an underground uh, music scene by nature. Uh, but at the same time, we also want the respect of the awards. We want to be recognized as a legitimate musical style with a lot of popularity, a lot of talent, and worthy of a whole lot of respect. Uh, I kind of liken it to uh, like a skeezy guy and a girl's like direct messages, where like the metal community is the skeezy guy and the mainstream is the like girl. And we, like, we want the attention. We, like, try to talk to it, like, the in the messages, trying to say, hey, you're really great. You should give me attention, blah, 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 blah. But then once we get ignored or turned away, we say, like, well, nobody wanted you anyway. No, like, you're not worth anything. It's pretty, it's sad and hilarious all at the same time. Uh, but as far as the Grammys are concerned, the awards that we are concerned with today are the awards for Best Rock Song, Best Rock Performance, Best Rock Album, and most of all, Best Metal Performance. Uh, for those unaware, the difference between Best Rock Song and Best Rock Performance is uh, Best Rock Song is an award that goes directly to the songwriters of a song, but Best Rock Performance is for everybody who is involved with the song, including the band themselves, or whoever else was just involved with it. and. We're pulling up the awards now to make sure I have my listicles and stuff here correct uh, to make sure that we got the stuff all in order here. Okay, so which one should we start with? Let's start off with the lesser awards, I guess. We got Best Rock Song. Uh, this is the one that's awarded to the songwriters and such. And the nominees that we have there are uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers for Black Summer, uh, Turnstile for Blackout, Brandy Carlisle for Broken Horses, The War on Drugs for Harmonious Dream, and Ozzy Osbourne and Jeff Beck for Patient Number 9. Uh, now, I listened through these uh, other songs, uh, and these are all... They're oh, okay choices. Like, I... Like, of course, the ones that I already heard before this award was announced were the ones by Ozzy Osbourne and Turnstile. Uh, and I heard the Red Hot Chili Peppers one, too, as well. Uh... Red Chili Peppers one Black Summer. I don't even remember which song that was. Uh, I think it's from their album they released earlier this year, Unlimited Love. Uh, all it knows is that pretty much all the songs on the album were very bland. Uh, Flea's bass work on all of them were quite impressive, uh, but none of the songs really stood out melody-wise or song-wise. Nothing that I would add to my own personal playlist, to say the least. Uh, we also, what else do we have on here? We have... Uh, Brandy Carlisle with Broken Horses. I listened to it once. Kind of a sleepy song. Nothing really standing out on that one. The War on Drugs. Similar deal. Uh, but Ozzy Osbourne, patient number nine. Uh, given this, that whole album and the song, it, it was good. 
And the song, Patient Number 9, was good after a few listens. It's one that had to grow on me a little bit. Uh, it's real heartfelt. It kind of has like themes of uh, like this new Ozzy album and the one that came out in 2020, Ordinary Man, are both dealing with a whole lot of end-of-life stuff. Basically, Ozzy grappling with his mortality, uh, reflecting on his life and his accomplishments. and the, Basically, he knows that the uh, end of his time is coming. And this song was like a real heartfelt thing. Like I like the lyrical content of the song more so than the song itself, even though the song is pretty good. I don't know if it's Grammy award winning good or really award winning in general good, but I feel like that uh, song is one more awarded due to Ozzy's legacy rather than the song itself. Uh, the interesting one here that a lot of people in the rock and metal world are pulling for is Turnstile, uh, who's got multiple nominations across these categories uh, with their song Blackout. Now, Blackout, it's a, that's a really good song. Uh, and really their whole Glow On album, which is where all the songs they're nominated for come from, was one of my favorite albums of last year. Uh, it's still part, all these songs are still part in the uh, Grammys uh, nomination uh, cycle for this year. Uh, but everyone was thinking that they should have got nominated for this last year uh, when it was a little bit more fresh. Because like now, a lot of the heat has died down uh, with the whole talk and conversation around now. But it's still very popular. It's still getting a whole ton of streams right now. Uh, Turnstile is still getting like a mainstream level of attention uh, relatively for this record. And still very highly praised. Uh, but usually the thing with uh metal bands or hardcore bands in the grammys is that uh usually the good thing to come out of the grammys for or award shows in general for uh metal and hardcore bands is that they can act as a nice uh push in popularity uh it's something you can slap on an album it's like grammy nominated or grammy award winning band so and so uh but this is like with this album and these songs are Grammy nominated. It's something that catches attention, helps push sales, helps push a band to the next level and acts as a signifier for how big of a band is or how big they are actually getting. And everybody's pulling for Turnstile uh, because they're a band that like, they're on the cusp of like true mainstream recognition. Uh, given a lot of people would have liked that on their previous album, I believe it's called Time and Space. Uh, had songs like Generator and stuff like that on it. And that was Turnstile's real, first real big push with getting a few mainstream looks. They uh, were getting looked at by more than just the metal and hardcore mags. They were getting looked at by the uh, indie rock mags, the hipster stuff that's like, has a lot of mainstream adjacent bands and attention to it. And now with this Grammy Award nomination, they're getting attention from the mainstream proper. Uh, Blackout's not my personal favorite song from the Glow on record, but it is quite good. And that's who I want to win that award. Uh, we have the Best Rock Performance Award, which, of course, my dumb ass didn't save that because I'm an idiot. Uh, we'll get back to that one. Let's go to Best Rock Album. Uh, with the Best Rock Album, uh, we have <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly again for a mainstream sellout. Uh, the Black Keys for Dropout Boogie, uh, Idols with Crawler, Ozzy Osbourne with Patient Number 9, Elvis Costello and the Imposters with The Boy Named If, and Spoon with Lucifer on the Sofa. Uh, out of these, the only albums, the full albums that I've heard were the ones from Ozzy, Black Keys, and Machine Gun Kelly. 
I like Elvis Costello and I like Spoon, but I haven't heard of those two albums, so I can't really comment on those. Uh, Idols is a band that I've seen a lot of buzz about, but I somehow missed that album when it came out. Uh, so I've only heard like one song, like the one song that got nominated for a different award on that one. But that's a it was sounding okay from what I could tell. The uh, the Black Keys album, Drop a Boogie, it's what you expect from Black Keys. Uh, they're out of like straight up rock bands. They're definitely one of the biggest ones. Uh, it's nice to have like an actual real guitar centric bluesy type band like still getting recognized on that level uh and it's a good album uh is it worth a grammy award possibly but i'm not too sure on that uh ozzy uh getting uh recognized nominated for best rock album is kind of a given given it's it's ozzy it's just like name recognition again that album was good I do. I did enjoy uh, Patient Number Nine. I still don't agree that it is. What it's not going to be on my best albums of the year list. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to go back and listen to it when I do my uh, like award show for the podcast. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be on my top list. It's a good album, but not a great one. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly, though, with mainstream sellout, uh, continuing to earn the ire of rock and metal fans everywhere uh, because the hip-hop carpetbagger into the rock music world uh he said that he's leaving rock music for now and going back to hip-hop uh but still this is the last little jabs uh that annoy and bug the metal world again uh as he marks his way out now that he's had a resurgence in popularity after uh kind of taking advantage of the rock world fan base the youthful rock world fan base at that i will admit there were a few songs on uh mainstream sellout that i did enjoy uh the song he did with ollie sykes uh, i actually thought it was like pretty catchy uh it's i even added it to my playlist i'll admit that uh i heard my credibility a little bit but i will admit that that was a good catchy song uh production wise though it's produced like a pop album it doesn't have a lot of oomph to it but even for being a so-called pop punk record uh but that one's not quite the best uh but out of those i'd say that uh <sighs> It'd be nice if Ozzy won it. Like, it's, it wouldn't be a surprise if Ozzy won it. But I would like it if Idols won it out of all of these. Because Idols is the band, as far as I know, uh, has the least mainstream recognition out of all these bands. And it'd be nice to get, have a solid band get a little bit of a push. But if Black if the Black Keys or Ozzy Osbourne won it, I'd be fine with that as well. Now, moving on to Best Rock Performance. We have... Uh, on this one, we have Brian Adams for So Happy It Hurts, Beck for Old Man, The Black Keys for Wild Child, Brandy Carlisle for Broken Horses, Idols with Crawl, uh, Ozzy Osbourne and Jeff Beck for Patient Number 9, and Turnstile with their song Holiday. Uh, this is another one I know I listened through the uh, all the nominees uh, as this was announced, but uh, Brian Adams, sleepy, acoustic-y, singer-songwriter stuff. Uh, you know, I actually don't think I listened to the Beck song. I need to go back and do that. So I can't really judge that one too much. Uh, Wild Child, solid song by the Black Keys. If you like Black Keys, you'll like that song. Uh, is it award-winning? I don't know. I doubt that. It's not the best song they've ever done. But it's a good song. Uh, Broken Horses by Brandy Carlisle. Not really my thing. Uh, it's song barely rocks, if I remember correctly. Uh, given it does say just best rock performance and not best hard rock performance, so I guess it gets a pass for just being a rock song. Uh, 
Idols or Crawl, solid track, uh, a little bit more uh, aggressive than what you usually see at the uh, Grammy Awards. Patient number nine, once again, uh, being nominated for this award as well by Ozzy and Jeff Beck. But the one that I'm most hyped for, and many people are hyped for, is Turnstile with Holiday, who I really want to win this award. Because Holiday was my is my favorite song from their Glow On album. And that, that song's been on repeat ever since it came out. Like, I forget if that one, I think that one was even on their... Uh, uh, Turnstile Love Connection EP they released before Glow On came out. And ever since I heard it, I've just been jamming that thing nonstop. It's such a simple setup of a song. It has a little like sampled uh like drum loop that leads into like the like the guitar the opening guitar of the dirt dirt has like a little two chord like chug chug thing that goes into like say you're going it's just another holiday and then the drop and it's just, it's just a well-written song it's one that appeals to the mainstream while simultaneously appealing to hardcore and punk fans and it's just a, so immediately catching and like grabs you so well and it's one that i feel turnstile really deserves to win for uh especially winning over such like notable names like black keys beck ozzy osbourne and uh brian adams that would really like help cement Turnstile with some of their mainstream recognition that they've been getting. I'm really hoping that they're able to get that one. Uh, but and, and it's it's my favorite one out of those tracks. Uh, if I had to guess, like what was gonna win uh, out of these, uh, probably Black Keys. I know Bex won some Grammys before. I'm pretty sure, so he might win it. Ozzy might just get it off of like legacy uh so it's probably gonna be either ozzy or black keys if i had to guess uh, but i'm hoping fingers crossed that turnstile wins that one uh and we got the big award for the metal crowd the best metal performance uh and this one is the choices are underwhelming uh a little bit because we got a mixture of questionable bands for nominations as well as like even the good ones that are chosen not really the best songs were chosen uh it's kind of a clusterfuck uh we we do have some good ones like turnstiles nominated again for best metal performance for the song blackout but that's not a metal song uh it's at most a punk song i'll give it it's a punk song but it's definitely not in the metal world it's a good song. People in metal world like Turnstile and like that song Blackout, but it's not a metal song. Uh, Megadeth, out of all these uh, nominations, is the one undoubtedly metal song that's even nominated with this. Let me go through the whole list of things instead of going it one by one. We have Turnstile with Blackout, Megadeth for Will Be Back, Ozzy Osbourne and Tony Iommi for Degradation Rules, Ghost for Call Me Little Sunshine, and Muse for Kill or Be Killed. I've already, so Turnstile, that's a punk song, not a punk song, really an indie rock song, but I'll give it at most a punk song, that's not a metal song. Megadeth, Thrash Metal Legends, will be back, undoubtedly a thrash metal song. Uh, like if we're trying to judge the award on how metal of a song it is, that is definitely the one that should win. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne and Tony Iommi for Degradation Rules. That was one of my favorite songs uh, from uh, the Patient Number 9 album, but 
Ozzy and Tony have a, a different song on there uh, on the Patient Number Nine album that I liked a lot better than this one, which uh, was stronger than Degradation Rules. Degradation Rules was the single and the more popular song. They got a little more commercial recognition. Uh, but it's not the one I would pick from that uh, album if we were going to have the Ozzy uh, legacy pick on these metal lists. Uh, we have Ghost for Call Me Little Sunshine. I know there's a whole lot of debate in the metal world over whether Ghost is a metal band or not. Uh, some people, the more hardcore metal elitists going, are they even a rock band or not? Or is it just some Scooby-Doo pop bullshit? Uh, I say that Ghost is a band that has rock songs and they have metal songs. Uh, but the thing is, though, with... This newest album, Impera, one of my favorite albums of the year. I'm going to like give you a little bit of spoiler there. Uh, it's definitely going to be on my top list. I don't know where it's going to be on my top list. But the album is excellent and possibly my favorite Ghost album to date. Uh, but the song that they are nominated for, for Best Metal Performance, is not a metal song at all. Call Me Little Sunshine is a slow like ballady type thing it has a very like dark vibe has a little bit of like gothic vibe to it but there it's it's a rock song like and a soft one at that it's definitely not metal in the least the, even on that album there's only like one like kind of like metal ish song on it and that would be 20s which is my favorite song off the record uh goofy as it is as campy as it is uh that's uh that's a borderline metal song. It's the most metal song on Impera. But if you're going to nominate a ghost song from Impera for best metal performance, it should have been 20s. They kind of screwed the pooch on that one. Uh, and then we got Muse with Killer Be Killed. Given Killer Be Muse is a band that definitely is influenced by metal, uh, depending on the album and depending on the song. Uh Muse has had a tendency in the past, really over their whole career, uh, where they've been, they'll have like one album be like a hard rock metal, like metal influence record. And then they'll have the next record be like a lot more experimental with a lot more like uh, operatic stuff and symphonic stuff on it. A lot of electronic experimentation. So they go back and forth. And with this latest record, they uh, have the, uh, uh, what's the name of the damn album? Uh, my memory is shit, guys. I'm I'm just gonna let you know. Like, my, it's not doing too well. I should have wrote this down. But Muse uh, on their latest record, uh, Will of the People. That's what it's called. Uh, yeah, this uh, it's definitely uh on the harder side for Muse, and this song does have uh, it's it couldn't be argued to be a metal song because it does have some like metal-y type riffs on it. Uh, though it's really, it, it, it's, it's a stretch to call it a metal song. Uh, it does have, uh, some like sweet riffs in it. That's on, that's without a doubt. I feel like Matt Bellamy, really underrated guitarist as far as like modern guitarists go. Uh, he's, uh, he's a riff machine. Like he's, when he actually tries to make like a, a hard rocking song, Matt Bellamy, frontman of Muse can shred like few others do in this day and age, especially somebody who's bringing guitar to the mainstream. Uh, he's got risk for days. Uh, and Kill Be Killed, I'd say probably is the most metally sounding song. It even has a pretty sweet breakdown, which oddly that breakdown sounds a lot like uh, the main 
baseline the baby got back by sir mix a lot uh, go back and listen to it it's i swear that sounds like baby got back's baseline dun 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 it's it's the baby got back baseline just playing on guitar for a breakdown and it's pretty damn sweet i gotta admit uh but that one i wouldn't be mad if with i'm not too mad at it for being on this list like there's worse choices they could have made um but yeah these are all I enjoy all the songs they have nominated for Best Metal Performance, uh, but there are other bands, and there's better choices. Even at a mainstream level, there was other bands that could have nominated for this. Uh, they could have nominated, if they're going to have like a a band with like a lot of commercial level appeal, like if they got Turnstile, so that's a good baseline to like judge us off of for popularity. Uh, you could have like a song from Machine Head's new album, like they have, that's like also one of my favorite albums of the year. Like Machine Head, I think they've gotten nominated for Grammys before, if I remember correctly. Uh, and the new album, uh, Arrows from the Sky, or, or I forget the name of the album. I'm bad with the album names today. Uh, but that one, that easily could have gotten nominated. There's the new record from Parkway Drive, which I know that it's a little, it's a t- the jury's split in the metal world over Parkway Drive's new album. Uh, darker still uh but they got some good bangers on that one that could have gotten nominated for uh a grammy award and really like they're a one of those bands that's on the cusp of the mainstream they're definitely in the metal mainstream but as far as the like actual mainstream like this is something that could have helped them push them to uh the next level and get even higher uh there's i don't know lamb of gods up there but i wouldn't put them uh, I enjoyed the new Lamb of God album, but I wouldn't say that the thing was like that good. But at least compared to everyone on this list, except for Megadeth, like all their songs would actually be metal songs. If you need to pick something that's like both high level of popularity and metal. Uh, but that's this whole list is really kind of questionable. Like, as it always is every year. Like, I don't know why we expect more from the Grammys or expect that, expect the Grammys to, like, understand metal music or know what should be nominated, what shouldn't be, or even what a metal song is. But eh, it's something to talk about. It's, like, the most mainstream attention the metal world usually gets that's in any type of positive light, for sure. Uh, but, yeah, let me hear what you think. About what do you think about the nominees for best metal performance and the uh, rock Grammys here? Uh, drop an email at the heavy haystack at gmail.com and let me know. Uh, send a message in and I'll uh, read it out on the show and uh, have a little bit of a back and forth on uh, your thoughts. And who do you think uh, should have been nominated for the best metal performance? Uh, get your thoughts out there. Let me know. This also seems like a good time to let you know that I'm having my own little award show, a run of them, uh, with these next couple of podcast episodes. Uh, the next episode that I'm going to do will be the uh, my top 10 albums of November, uh, which that will be, of course, covering the uh, ranking my top 10 albums from this past month, which had an interestingly uh, stacked month uh, with a lot of... Uh, bands and albums that are a little bit on the underground and lesser known side uh with stuff that you should definitely check out uh, after that one i will be doing a uh a, not quite a normal grammy award style show uh it's an award style show with uh diff- 
like I still haven't decided on all the categories. I got the inspiration from another uh, music podcast that I heard, which will have a bevy of different awards. It'll have stuff like uh, best album by genre awards of the year. Uh, it'll be have stuff like a shit show story of the year, which there's always a whole lot of uh, choices for that one. Uh, most improved band of the year and some like unique uh, categories like that stuff that's all going to be metal centric and interesting type of categories uh, that will be some like nice discourse uh, to be heard on that uh, and after that one I will have my uh, more usual top albums of the year uh, episode for the third of the three uh, I don't know how big of a list I'm going to do I'm currently uh, like thinking 20 uh, would be a good number. Uh, could go a little bit more. Like, and when I was doing written reviews uh, years ago, when I first started doing music reviews, uh, I did list uh, like a top. I did separate lists for rock and metal albums, and I would do like a fifty uh, top albums of each category. So it was like a hundred albums total. That's a little bit long for a podcast. Uh, so I think, and also something I'm going to do this year for the first time. I used to do like separate the list from rock and uh, metal, but I think I'm going to just put all the albums into one category and just like rank them all together. Everything that like I've listened to that falls under the metal and rock uh, pantheon. Does it simplify things a little bit? And maybe with that, I could extend it to 40, make it a nice real big episode. Uh, but it kind of depends on like how long I feel would be, would keep things interesting for a uh, awards-style ranking type of show. Uh, these are always fun. These type of things are always like the uh, real big boost in viewership, or listenership, rather, for podcasts and YouTubers as well for that, which I may do a video for YouTube as well because I've kind of been neglecting YouTube channels similar to how I've neglected uh, the podcast, which I've been mainly trying to focus on a podcast uh and this being the first episode in a while, uh, those will be three strong uh, podcast episodes to get things uh, back rolling again, uh, leading into this new year when everything will be starting afresh and a new fresh year in 2023, talking about all the upcoming uh, releases and music and things we're looking forward to in the heavy music world of metal, hardcore, and hard rock uh, coming up uh, this upcoming year. I might do... If I get out each of those episodes uh, in a week apart, uh, I think that still leaves another week or two of uh, time there where if I have the free time and the uh, I can structure it pretty well, I may do a uh, anticipated albums uh, episode as well, talking about uh, albums looking forward to in 2023, uh, speculation on what could be released in 2023. Uh, and that one will take a little bit more research, uh, than normal, but I may do that. Uh, just send me a message if you think that'd be a fun episode to do and just see like how much, uh, interest there would be in me doing an episode like that. Uh, all the while through all these episodes, I'll be keeping up with whatever like news or tour announcements that will be coming through. Uh, so it'll be something nice to a nice episode before going into like a usual schedule of your usual like, album reviews and news that would normally have. But now with all the awards show talk done, we have uh, other news items uh, that have come up in the past couple of weeks. Uh, see, at the top of the list, past the Grammys, 
something that happened. Uh, the Misfits. Uh, they were forced to cancel their uh, New Year's show this year due to, quote, unexpected personal matters. Uh, they didn't give any specific reasons or what those personal matters might be, but it's speculated that it's they're not fighting with each other again or anything like that because they say they are looking forward to playing shows in 2023. So not sure what that could be, but uh, at least the the uh, reunited misfits are still together and still planning to play shows in the future. Uh, just won't have their big uh, new year's show in Vegas. That was planned. In uh, other news, uh, there's been a whole lot of talk about Ticketmaster in the recent year and recent weeks. There's always complaints about Ticketmaster because they're fucking dicks. And ever since their merger with live nation in uh, 2010, uh, they've just had a stranglehold on ticket prices. And in the past year, it's gotten even worse because before they had issues with uh, ticket scalpers using bots to buy up all the tickets for uh, the bigger shows that are around that they're in control of and letting those third party websites gouge customers on ticket prices for double or even triple the face value of the ticket at times. And so they decided to try a new system uh, called dynamic ticket pricing, where like ticket prices will fluctuate up and down depending on demand, uh, which they said will like keep money out of the scalpers' hands. But in reality, uh, fans are still getting like charged these exorbitant ticket prices. Uh, even they're still getting charged like these stupid ticket prices, and it seems like even higher uh, recently. Where of course there was the whole uh, Blink One Eighty Two fiasco a few like a month or two ago where they had uh, ticket prices going into the thousands for like even like a nosebleed seat at a Blink show. Uh, so much so that uh, Blink-182 bassist Mark Hoppus decided to test out the system for himself, and uh, he couldn't find a reasonably priced ticket, and he also got like blocked out of the system because it crashed. And of course, like even without the dynamic ticket pricing and the uh, scalpers like making problems for everybody, they... Uh, like, there's also, like, just the normal fees that Ticketmaster has. You'll be wanting to buy, like, a ticket for, like, $40, $50, and it'll have fees and, like, so-called convenience fees that cost as much as the ticket itself, which is ridiculous. Uh, I ran into this myself, personally, uh, where I wanted to go to, I think it was earlier this year, where Candle Corpse had their big death metal tour alongside Shadow of Intent, Whitechapel, and Revocation. And I wanted to buy tickets for that, at a venue there where normally a ticket for a show like that would be around $30. Uh, I tried to buy my ticket about a month in advance and it was over a hundred, which that's on the small scale of like ticket prices going exorbitantly high. And also I tried to get a ticket for the recent merciful fate tour that they did, uh, that that they did with the uh, creator at midnight and ticket prices for that one were like skyrocketing too. Uh, but now it seems the, Camel has the straw on the camel's back has been broken. Where the recent tour for Taylor Swift, uh, where tickets are her tour, were going up into the dozens of thousands. Like I saw ticket prices going for as high as forty thousand dollars for a random Taylor Swift ticket on her recent tour. Uh, and of course, this has caused a lot of ire amongst the fans. This has caused a whole mess load of problems where. Uh, with Taylor Swift being like the biggest pop artist, really the biggest music artist in the world right now, uh, this is 
like front and center a huge outcry from fans about the the evil business practices of Ticketmaster and Live Nation. So much so that U.S. lawmakers are now getting involved. There's already been some murmurings about the government getting involved with Ticketmaster's business practices, where the U.S. Department of Justice said that they were going to investigate Ticketmaster's business practices, and even President Joe Biden saying that he wants to crack down on the company's exorbitant fees. And now, a U.S. Senate committee that handles things like uh, antitrust policy and like consumer rights are now getting involved with uh, investigating Ticketmaster as well and seeing what can be done about their like real like non-consumer friendly business practices. Uh, the head of the committee, a U.S. senator from a U.S. Democratic senator, I forget what state that they are from, uh, made a statement saying that. Uh, basically like damning Ticketmaster saying that they uh, their ticket their whole business practices are ridiculous. Uh, they are monopolizing uh, the like ticket music industry and its business practices are uncalled for and are deserving of swift action. Now given like our government, as many of you know, are all corporate owned. They there's not a whole lot of things that will get done that would cost corporations money because corporations are well known for greasing the palms of politicians in order to get their way. Uh, and it's, it's, there's been talk of like the government trying to do something to help fight this stuff with Ticketmaster for a real long time. And like, I'm a little bit doubtful if anything will actually get done, but at least the problem is getting recognized as a big issue uh, that, it's hopefully like if the people it's it's going to be on the people more so to put pressure on the government to like cause problems essentially but the politicians in power they're all corporate owned uh the ticketmaster will likely try to grease the palms of politicians to stop any legislation that would be detrimental to them and detrimental to their business practices uh if but essentially it's got to come down to is take breaking up Ticketmaster and hurting them uh, worth enough to the government versus uh, getting the votes and like positive image of the people. There's a chance with this because like I know Ticketmaster is a very big business. Uh, it's a very big organization, corporation, but it's something that's like not essential. Not it's a not essential type of thing. Uh, being like in the entertainment world and it's possible that the uh, the government could see more value in getting brownie points with the American public over protecting the uh, business practices of a corp of this corporation in particular uh, it would be a very easy like public relations win for like people in office and it's something that's also uh, bipartisan in support I would say because this is a situation that doesn't really have anything. Uh, the do on one side of the political aisle or the other. So it'd be a very easy win that Democrats or Republicans could easily take advantage of to get uh, like public favor in a very easy way. Uh, but time remains to be seen if anything will actually be done about the Ticketmaster situation. All I know is that it's ridiculous and it's something that's going to cost venues money. It costs it possibly costs artists money, and it's something that the fans are definitely losing out on when they just want to go see their favorite artists while having to pay a year's salary for one ticket. Uh, another news. Uh, this news is a little bit old now by this point, uh, but of course there was the Sick New World 
uh, metal festival that was announced. Uh, Sick New World is being held in the uh, next year in the spring uh, in Las Vegas at the same fairgrounds where the well-known When We Were Young Festival was held. Uh, of course, the When We Were Young Fest uh, has already announced uh, their like year the 2023 lineup. Uh, but now uh, the new metal crowd has their own little nostalgia festival they can go and enjoy. Um, and it has a lot of big names from the new metal era on it. System of Down is the main headliner, alongside names like Korn, Deftones, Incubus. Uh, but this festival has like a bigger number of uh, newer names uh, in the mix, where like Turnstile is one of the top names on there. Uh, very highly ranked, too. Like their headline, they're like, uh, big name over names like Chevelle, over Papa Roach, over uh, friggin' Billy Ballos of, of Hymns, like solo band. Uh, but interestingly, with this festival, there are some reunions that are taking place at this as well. With uh, Cold Chamber uh, is reuniting. They were one of the big new metal names in the genre's heyday. Uh, not one of my personal favorites. I only like like two or three songs from Cold Chamber, really. Uh, of course, frontman Desafar has gone on to do Devil the groove metal band Devil Driver now, which is much more respected by the metal world at large for being a much more traditional band. Uh, but Cold Chamber's back. Uh, that should like uh, get a whole lot of the 40-year-old-plus uh, uh, new metal fans excited for that, as well as a younger, slightly younger band, but still a nostalgia act by this point, Flyleaf, reuniting with uh, original frontwoman Lacey Sturm, uh, who is... Uh, a lot of people are excited about it. I saw Flyleaf. Flyleaf was one of my first uh, concerts that I ever saw in my younger days uh, where they played uh, a tour with uh, Breaking Benjamin and Three Days Grace uh, as the opener for that. And they were really good. See, they were definitely uh, one of the better uh, Christian rock acts for sure that hit like mainstream attention. Uh, but of course, with Lacey Stern reuniting with Flyleaf, there's been uh, news of her support for uh, gay conversion therapy, which has been like making the rounds, which is something I didn't even know about until uh, their re like their reunion was announced. Uh, which I haven't seen anything confirmed or denied on if she still supports uh, gay conversion therapy. Uh, of course, like I personally am against it, as most people, as everyone should be. Uh, but that's I don't know. Like you would think that if she was against it now. Uh, it'd be something that she would just come out and say, or the band would come out and say. And I personally haven't seen any news on that front. Uh, so that's going to be a uh, moral conundrum for a lot of people that are wanting to see Flyleaf at that festival uh, with this reunion. But uh, hopefully some, like, I don't know. don't know what to make of that. Everyone will have to make up their own minds on that one. It uh, doesn't mean that you can like can't still go to the festival. Like There's plenty, plenty of other bands to see and support there that you don't have to have a, a crisis of faith uh, to go see. Uh, also, in more positive news, something that's uh, everybody in the feel goods, uh, Nightwish frontwoman Floor Jensen announced that she is now cancer-free. Uh, she, back in October, early October, uh, like Jensen uh, just announced that she, uh, she had, it was discovered that she had a uh, breast cancer. Uh, thankfully it was a non-aggressive cancer, uh, that was detected pretty early and she had surgery operated on and now, uh, she is cancer free. Uh, of course, uh, she's the front woman of Nightwish, who is one of the biggest symphonic metal bands out of Europe and the biggest band from Finland in general, uh, 
and which is like and they just released an album i believe it was last year was their last record uh but that's just really good news that like floor jansen is cancer free and is going to be with us for a good long time still so that's some good positive feel good news uh and something a little bit funnier uh that i saw earlier this week uh ted nugent always a bastion of controversy in both the political world and the music world at large uh he says that he thinks that the uh bands who covered his songs uh pen like notably from pantera motorhead and the ramones uh he said that the covers of his songs that they've done sound quote too white uh <laughs> i don't know if uh Ted Nugent is familiar with the members of all those bands, uh, Pantera, Motorhead, and the Ramones. Uh, all those, the members of all those bands are in fact white. And I don't know if Ted Nugent, I would hope Ted Nugent would know this, but uh, if he's looked in the mirror at any point in his life, uh, he should know that he himself is white as well. Uh, but apparently he says he plays less white than these guys that covered his songs. Uh, he says that, uh, in the interview, uh, he said that uh, their covers of his songs don't have that Motown groove to it uh, that he says he has in his guitar playing and his songwriting. Uh, but given like the songs like Catch Girl, as much controversy as Ted Nugent has and as much as of a douchebag I believe the man is, uh, he does know how to write a song. At least back in his heyday, he did. Uh, not that uh, 13, 16 song that he wrote. That was uh, skeezy, to say the least. Uh, not something I'd want to hang my hat on if I was a songwriter. But Catch Grouch Fever is a bop. Stranglehold, an even big, better bop. Uh, but yeah, just because you're from Detroit and you listen to a lot of Motown and black artists doesn't mean that your playing is necessarily any more black, dude. You're, you're, you're still a white dude from Michigan. You're still old crazy uncle ted uh and it's just a funny statement for him to make i thought it was funny uh i also do like the covers of those bands of the songs from those bands but uh they sound just fine as they are uh white or not uh it's something else that's a little bit on the weirder side y'all been hearing about mark zuckerberg's uh metaverse going on well apparently there is a metaverse ozfest held which had a couple of different bands on it, like uh, Megadeth, Ozzy himself, uh, Motorhead, and a few others. Uh, and it was fucking terrible. Uh, I saw a few uh, YouTube videos uh, of the uh, Metaverse event that was held online in one of their rooms, and really, like, it was not good at all. Like, they either showed, like, music videos of the artists on the screen... Uh, on a screen within the screen like there was of course like with the metaverse it's a 3d space that you have an avatar and similar to a video game uh and while you were in this uh avatar space you could look at this uh curved titantron uh screen type of thing to watch music videos of the bands and they also had very horrible 3d models of like both ozzy and uh lemmy from motorhead uh performing their songs badly lip-synced with their character fucking guitar hero back in the ps2 era looked way better than this like these are barely ps2 graphics maybe even like ps1 graphics as far as quality this is this system is so it's so bad 
Like, it's not even a live version of the songs that they played. They played friggin' uh, the studio version, so it's not even pretending to be a live-ish type event. And they're, like, very stiff, had very stiff 3D character models that looked like a very amateurish animator, 3D animator made uh, in on his, like, computer in his bedroom. Uh, I've seen much better work from, like, bedroom animators, too, by the way. Yet, this is coming from a multi-billion dollar social media company. And this is the best that they can do for this whole metaverse BS that they're doing? It was fucking terrible. It, it's, it's a shame that it has the OzFest name attached to it. Uh, it was just something. If you want to see something to make you cringe harder than few things can, uh, look up the OzFest metaverse performances. Because that was fucking terrible, to say the least. Another uh, news, Spirit Box. Uh, one of the fast-rising stars of metal and metalcore these days just announced their first headlining tour in support of their Eternal Blue album that was released last year. Uh, with, touring with them will be After the Burial as direct support and Intervals, which is a really strong... At least, I was kind of surprised at this lineup. They're going real strong with a pure metalcore lineup. Uh, possibly because like with spirit box uh, they're a big band but there's only like so many bands that could really uh well there's, there's a number of bands that could like tour under them they've gotten real popular uh but with them getting more into like kind of in like mainstream rock territory uh i feel like they might be trying to shore up their support with the metalcore crowd uh because after the burial intervals are like very well beloved in the metalcore scene and Spirit Box, they're trying to you uh, have a more of a sure bet, uh, sure bet, like fill like venue fillers, uh, having a full metalcore bill. Uh, this tour will be going on uh, through America uh, from April 10th to May 10th next year in 2023. Uh, so get your tickets for that one because I'm pretty sure they might have already gone on sale, and that's one that might be very likely to sell out very quickly. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, they're not playing anywhere near me, sadly, I don't think, because I remember looking at the dates and none of them were close to Kentucky here. Uh, at least not without like a little bit of a drive I would have to make, sadly. But eventually, I will see Spirit Box at some point. Uh, it just sucks because I might have to go to Louder Than Life again in order to do it. And the, like, the struggle of having to go to a festival that big is the juice isn't worth the squeeze because the lineup is a little bit too spotty in recent years for me to really want to go to it. Uh, and more weird news, uh, Guar, that's all you need to know that the news is going to be weird. Uh, Guar has a, um, new sex toy based off of, uh, old odorous Arungus's cuttlefish dick that he had, uh, that he was famous for, uh, sporting during, uh, his, uh, Tom and Dave Brocky was still, still with us and performing with the band. Uh, if you're unaware, if you're not a fan of Guar, uh, Guar is the band that has like that came started all the way back in like the '80s and got some attention in the early '90s as well. Uh, when they first were getting started, where they were like the big alien costumes and stuff, and frontman Otis Rungus had a uh, fish dick essentially called the Cuttlefish that he attached to himself. Uh, it was a nice little bit of uh, performance art fun, uh, and they've made an actual Cuttlefish sex toy. Uh, that people can buy. And they teamed up with Bad Dragon because, of course, it's Bad Dragon. Uh, if you know anything about sex toys, like they make just these ridiculously 
out of the box. They're works of art, but it's very weird art. It's like basically like alien dicks and shit. I don't even know if they make normal dildos and toys. Uh, but Bad Dragon's known for making like these weird ass sex toys, and now they have a usable cuttlefish uh, dildo that you can have. So you can have a little piece of Odorosaurungus inside you whenever you do so desire. <laughs> and uh, it has comes in a variety of sizes, and I think it might even have different colors too. Uh, it goes from sizes of seven seven point five inches all the way up to a big old monstrous fifteen inches. Uh, and that is, if you're a braver soul than like most, uh, if you're gonna try to take that fifteen inch or cuttlefish up, whatever orifice you're trying to put that in. Uh, but yeah, that's something that you can buy. Uh, I didn't see what the prices were, but, uh, Hey, if that's something that sounds up your alley, if you're in the ultimate guar fan, want a piece of motorist inside of you, uh, go on bad dragons website, or I think on guar's websites as well, and get you a little piece of that, that you can go buy. And this last little piece of news, that's a little bit on the older side as well. Like you might've seen it go making rounds a little bit a while ago. Uh, but in an interview clown of slipknot, said that he's uh, unsure about the band releasing full albums anymore. Uh, of course, like, they uh, Slipknot just finished uh, releasing the uh, last album under contract with longtime label Roadrunner Records, uh, the end so far. And at the end of May, essentially starting in June of next year, uh, they will no longer be part of a label officially, and they'll be free to do whatever they want with their music career and their releases. So that's opened up uh, the band to ideas of what they want to do uh, as far as releasing music uh, going forward. And uh, Clowns like put out the idea of like possibly just releasing singles uh, or EPs instead of full albums. Uh, of course, like advantages of that would be that the band could uh, collaborate more often because they wouldn't have to make songs that would be part of a larger release. Uh, they could release music more frequently uh, where like instead of having a like two to three year wait for new music every time, or sometimes in Slipknot's case, they've taken like five years in between albums at times, but uh, they, there's some advantages and there's like disadvantages. Usually uh, there are those advantages mentioned with like releasing stuff, singles uh, as well as with the new way the music business works. Uh, singles seem to get uh, a lot more attention. It's easier to get the attention of, uh, people with singles these days, but that's something that's really th a thing for younger bands that don't have the type of fan base that Slipknot has. Slipknot is an established leader of metal, essentially like as far as legacy, influence, impact uh, in the metal world. They're probably second only to Metallica at this point, uh, as far as like bands that are still around and current. Uh they're a band that could just continue to keep releasing albums and do just fine, but uh, essentially they're doing things more so for creative reasons uh, rather than commercial reasons these days. Their commercial legacy is like pretty much set in stone. Uh, they'll always have interest in whatever music they put out for the foreseeable future. So it's kind of cool that they're looking into more of uh, opening ideas. Uh, into more experimental territory as far as how they want to release their music. Uh, Corey Taylor, of course, in another interview, said that he has a concept for a double album uh, that would could be really cool. Uh, which, I don't know, that could be... 
I don't know, double albums, I'm always like personally iffy about how good a double album can be. Because usually, uh, if you have a double album, the first half is can usually be pretty solid. The second half is always weaker because it's always the later, not quite as strong songs. It seems like as the usual trend with that. But uh, that could be something that would be quite interesting to see what Slipknot does. Of course, one big downside of the not doing full albums is that there's usually a lot more hype around a full album. An album uh, cycle is usually seen... The eras of bands are usually measured in album cycles. And it would make things a little bit harder to gauge uh, without having a specific era uh, to go with. Because Especially in Slipknot's case. Because... With the big gaps in time in between their albums normally, uh, there was always like a large level of hype built whenever a new Slipknot album was being released. Uh, as well as like there was always like a new mask that were done. Like the reveal of the mask is always a big story every time they've done it. They have the uh, also the sales of vinyl, which is a big, uh, big money merch item for many bands, big and small. Uh, and if you're doing stuff in just EP fashion, I don't know how many people are into buying seven inches or like singles, but uh, that also would be like uh, something that they'd be losing out on on the merch front as well, as well as for collectors who are fans of the band as too. Uh, but I don't know. It could work for them. I'm pretty sure that they'll have a degree of success with whatever like they decide to do in the future after they're off of Roadrunner. But it it could be an interesting thing, like seeing a band on Slipknot's level uh, releasing stuff in a different way. It's something that could be quite interesting, I'd say. Uh, and I'd say that does it for all the news that we have this week. So let's get into the uh, new albums and singles that are going to be, that have been recently released. Let's start with the singles. Uh, the newest one out of the singles that have been released that are notable uh, recently, their metalcore band Currents uh, just released a single called Vengeance. Give it a listen. It's a pretty solid track. Uh, Currents is one of the better bands out of the uh, modern metalcore uh, world. I remember their album that they released back in 2020, uh, I believe it was, trying to find that. Uh find what the name of that album was i think it was origins was it it's great podcasting by the way freaking just like can't find stuff the way it ends that's what it's called uh yeah the album was pretty phenomenal came out in 2020 was one of my favorite albums of that year and they just released this new single called vengeance uh follows uh their previous single that was released back in august called the death we seek uh, both pretty strong tracks from the band. Um, there hasn't been an announcement of a new album yet, but with two singles being released this year, uh, it's fair to say that there's most likely an album announcement on the horizon if they haven't already done one already. Uh, there is the new single Sensation from Crosses. Of course, Crosses is the uh, side project of Deftones frontman Chino Moreno uh, alongside uh, one of the members from FAR. Uh, they have an EP dropping uh, very soon on December 9th called Permanent Radiant. And these uh, this single, as well as the previous one they released, uh, are both phenomenal. If you're into like uh, experimental, uh, down-tempo, electronic uh, music, it's kind of like, uh, 
don't know, it's kind of like trip hop type of stuff, uh, but, which is something that's really fitting for uh, Chino's vocal style. Uh, it's real like dreamy and atmospheric and while still staying dark. Uh, it's essentially like Deftones without, with the rock taken out of it. And it's real quality. Uh, I actually like uh, the recent singles from Crosses a lot more than the last Deftones record, Ohms, actually. Uh, and something that I'm looking forward to. It's the last uh, big name, uh, relatively big name release coming out this year to look forward to. And I'll be probably giving that its own little uh, review when it comes out after the ninth, uh, as a little extra thing with it being one that a lot of people are looking forward to. Uh, J-pop idol metal group baby metal whatever you want to call them just released a new single called monochrome from their upcoming concept album called the other one which releases next year march 24th uh involves the previous single they've released recently called divine attack and uh baby metal's a band that i've been trying to get into i haven't tried that hard to get into them uh i just heard a few of the singles when they first got popular uh which uh, I think it's called like Metal Vengeance or some weird shit like that. Uh, of course, Baby Metal is the Japanese uh, pop idol group that's been around way longer than most uh, pop idol groups are, probably because they have international appeal uh, as compared to your usual uh, idol group stuff uh, from Japan. They, uh, like, they've been the whole lot of popularity going on. They've had a. Uh, a lot of shout-outs from the likes of Rob Zombie and Rob Halford. They uh, got a lot of uh, notability with their collaboration with Bring Me the Horizon on their uh, survival horror EP that was released last year, which was the first thing that Baby Metal was on that I actually enjoyed. And with these two singles released from this upcoming record, uh, it's a much more serious-sounding and mature sound uh, coming out of Baby Metal, probably because, I don't know, like, given, like, this is a... Uh, it's a band that's like made by a label or like a management group. Uh, so they're all about just trying to make as much money as possible and all that. But uh, the music by the uh, musicians that are behind it is very strong. Uh, what do I say? For me, like it was always just the kind of like poppy uh, vocals that always turned me off from the band. But like, I don't know. I may need to check out more of the recent material because this song is like a nice. Uh, dark ballady type of thing going on it's it's a lot more serious it's not like over the top it's a lot more subdued than what i'm used to hearing from baby metal and it's actually giving me a little bit of interest i may actually like this upcoming baby metal record uh, uk group in shikari has a another new song uh in collaboration with pop artist cody frost titled bull uh of course uh few months back they had a collaboration with wargasm uk on the song the void stares back and that one was okay i haven't been too big of a fan of wargasm from what i've heard from them they kind of they look like uh fucking diant word and sound somewhat similar i think i don't know diant word super well but it is a very industrial uh tinge new metally type of a rave electronic group uh but this one with uh, Cody Frost uh, sounds quite good, actually. It's got a real strong hook. It's it's very electronic bass. It's uh, got a similar vibe to what Inishikari did on their uh, last album, Nothing's True and Everything is Possible, where they infu- they infuse a whole lot more pop elements into their sound to, for, uh, to uh, the band's like great greatness. It was actually a really great record, one of my favorites that year. Uh, and this has a very infectious, catchy chorus, uh, mostly with Cody Frost singing the, uh, taking the lead on the hook. Uh, it's really well done. Definitely one worth checking out. 
Uh, the Word Alive has a new single called uh, Nocturnal Fracture, their first release on Thriller Records. Uh, follows that kind of post-hardcore, metalcore-ish type of vibe. Uh, that's not the biggest thing for me, but I uh, enjoyed it well enough. Uh, if you're a fan of that type of music, that is should definitely be up your alley. Uh, enslaved, progressive uh, black metal band, uh, rather black metal-inspired progressive metal band, uh, just released a new single called Congelia. 10-minute uh, kind of borderline atmospheric black metal uh a song uh it's uh comes with an announcement of a new album called heimdall coming out march 3rd which i'm very excited for enslaved is one of the better progressive metal acts that kind of get put under like the viking metal category as well uh their albums like ever since i first heard of them on their e record uh their music has been quite uh phenomenal and great uh hot of a really high quality uh, in the progressive metal world uh, this follows their uh, Kingdom single that was released back in August. And with this song and uh, album announcement, Enslaved fans have a lot to look forward to in the coming year. So I'm very hyped for that. Uh, one I'm a lot less hyped for is a new single from the band Ultraviolence featuring a band called Villain of the Story titled Good Enough. Uh, Ultraviolence, uh, for those unaware, was one of a very promising name amongst the modern thrash uh, pantheon. Uh, and like they had a uh, album that was released, I think it was back in 2017 uh, when it was trying to find where that album was called. Go look it up in my hand today to Spotify right here. Uh, yeah, they had an album uh, called Operation Misdirection back in 2018, which was one of my favorite records of that year and one of the best modern thrash records I've heard. Uh, they had like three records uh, as a thrash band, but now... Uh, they've moved on to doing a kind of a post-hardcore metalcore type sound, which is a weird switch for the band to make. Uh, and it's uh, to, to the band's detriment, in my personal opinion. Uh, but not really their overall opinion, because their newer songs are doing quite well. Uh, <clears throat> they're, they're the bigger songs uh, from them currently, but they... They went from being a very promising modern thrash band to being a very generic-sounding uh, post-hardcore metalcore band. And it seems like that's working for them so far, but quality-wise, uh, it's not really uh, ringing my bells. But hey, if you're into that, you might enjoy that, uh, just uh, if you're curious about checking that out. To see what a band that was formerly a thrash metal band sounds like doing metalcore uh, now. Uh, as far as new albums that were released... Uh, Ones that were released last week uh, that I've had some time to listen to a bit. Uh, there's a good number of them. Some like quality ones too. Uh, the bigger names, of course, there's uh, Nickelback, everybody's favorite punching bag in the rock world with their new album, Get Rollin'. Uh, gave that a listen. Uh, it's Nickelback being Nickelback, but even more sugary sweet pop than they normally are. Uh, so it's If you don't like Nickelback already, they're not doing anything to change your mind. Uh, weird thing with that one is that they have like only two harder rock songs on it with uh, the uh, San Quentin song, which got people a little bit curious because it had some like panic chords sounding like they're about to do some heavy ass metalcore shit. Uh, but that was just a fake out. And they do the same thing on another song on that record called Vegas Bomb, which sounds really thrashy until you get to the actual singing parts. Uh, so it's kind of a weird bait and switch that they do on that one. Uh, this course, uh, Disturbed with their album Divisive. Uh, Disturbed, this is actually 
I know that like Disturbed's not a cool band to like, but out of like the mainstream rock and metal bands that are around, they're a personal favorite that I've liked. Uh, but their last album they had, I think it's back in 2020, it's called Evolution. Uh, it followed all the success they had with that Sound of Silence single. Uh, and then they tried to recreate that success a little too hard. And half that album is shitty ballads. And the other half are weak sauce, uh, like like wet blanket harder rock songs. Uh, but this new album is Disturbed returning to form, honestly. If you like Disturbed at all, like the classic albums like 10,000 Fist or freaking, uh, what was that one? Freaking uh, Indestructible and all that. This album is good. I don't know if this album is as good as their classic heyday, but it's way better than most of their modern stuff. So if you like Disturbed, give that a listen. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins uh, with a new record called At Autumn. I'm guessing is how you pronounce that. A-T-U-M. Uh, Autumn Act 1, actually, which is going to be part of a three-part triple album set that they plan to do. I don't know when the other album is supposed to come out, uh, but this first one, it was pretty solid. Like, it was a very uh, synth-rocky mixed in with some like alternative rock stuff that Smashing Pumpkins is known for. Uh, is there any other bigger albums released? Uh, doesn't seem so. Uh, so, for more underground stuff, we have uh, the band 16 with their album Into Dust released on Relapse Records. Of course, 16 is a uh, sludge metal band that's been around for a while. And this Into Dust record, uh, just going to say, it's going to be featured in my best albums of November uh, list that's going to be on my next podcast. Uh, you definitely want to give this one a listen to if you're into like this heavy, groovy sludge shit. It's quality. Uh, the Interbeing, uh, I believe they are a Scandinavian uh, gent band, one of the better ones that I've heard, but not don't have as much attention as most with their new album, Icon of the Hopeless. Uh, epic doom metal legends, Kettlemass, has a new record called Sweet Evil Sun on Napalm, uh, which if for the all for the doom metal fans, the classic doom fans should enjoy that. Uh, Galpa, Sweden's Galpa, uh, has a new album titled Myriad, their second full-length album, uh, which is being released via Nuclear Blast, their first Nuclear Blast. That album is good, good. It has, like, a lot of stoner rock and psychedelic tendencies to it. Uh, Real, like, atmosphere, has real psychedelic and, like, quality riffs on it for, like, that kind of, have, like, a kind of 70s rock vibe mixed with some psychedelic stuff. It's really good, and it's going to rank pretty high in my best albums of the uh, month list so you should like give that a listen uh youtuber musician jared dines just released a new album called the gray uh, apparently it's an album that uh it's, like he i don't know if it's a surprise drop or anything but i know that the day that he released the record uh this past uh last week uh he made a youtube video announcing the record uh, apparently he's been working on it for a long time i've listened to it and it's a lot more creative and interesting than a lot of uh like the gentier material that you hear uh, of course, he's like well known for having like meme worthy videos of where he's playing guitars with like 20, 22 strings and just being ridiculous with that. But he actually is a really talented musician that uh, if you're a fan of Gent, you should give that one a listen. Uh, progressive metal band Threshold uh, released an album Dividing Lines via Nuclear Blast. A metalcore band Wolves at the Gate uh, released an EP titled Lowborn. They released an uh, album earlier this year. Uh, that was pretty solid for um very it, it, it was an okay it was pretty solid uh, metalcore record i would say uh, as your stuff released this week of course we're getting into the time of year when 
uh, releases really slow uh, now after the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, usually most stuff that's released in this time of year are like live albums, uh, compilations, or song, or records by like smaller bands. Uh, but just going off uh, the list I have in front of me here, uh, some ones I haven't checked out. Uh, I don't know many of these bands, uh, what they sound like exactly, but I'll tell you which ones and what labels are on. Uh, we ha- ones that were released this past Friday on the 25th on Black Friday, we have the band uh, Black Lava uh, with an album called Soul Furnace on Season of Mist. Uh, we got uh, High Command with an album called Eclipse of the Dual Moons on Southern Lord. Uh, Judicator has an album called The Ma- Majesty of Decay on Prosthetic. Uh, League of Distortion has a self-titled record on Napalm. Uh, a band called Lycotanon uh, has a record called Promethean Pathology on Profound Lore uh, records. And we also have a split between the sludge doom band Boris with a band called Rocky and the Sweden. Uh, that's coming out on Relapse. That should be interesting. That's one I need probably should give a listen to. And uh, last but not least, we have a Spirit World with the record Death Western on Century Media. I haven't had a chance to check out those records yet, but uh, I will give a browse through to those and we'll give a little bit of a mention to them. uh, See if they can make the best albums of November list, uh, which will be my next podcast uh, that I will hopefully have out by this time next week. Uh, But until then. Uh, that's all we got for this week. Uh, sorry for taking so long on getting a new podcast out if you have been waiting. Uh, I'm planning to try to get much more consistent with my podcast uh, release schedule now. I'm trying to do – my plan essentially now is to focus on talking about new releases and news uh, so I can get something out every week. And at the end of each month uh, going forward, I will have a uh, best of uh, best albums of the month to focus on all the albums that came out that month, what you should listen to, as well as talking about whatever the biggest names were briefly if they did not make uh, the best uh, 10 albums of the month list. Uh, But that's all for now. If you want to have your band's music featured on a podcast, uh, or if you just want to like drop a question or like ask questions, suggestions for the pod or anything else that you just want to talk about or have uh, heard on the show, uh, drop an email uh, at theheavyhaystack at gmail.com. You can catch me on other social media sites as well, on Facebook at The Heavy Haystack, Instagram at The Heavy Haystack, TikTok, uh, and also Twitter, which is heavy underscore haystack, uh, where I've been getting a lot more active on there. Uh, So until I release my next episode next week, which will be Best Albums of November, uh, peace, love, music, and I will see you all next time. And I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Don't spend too much money on the Christmas gifts. <laughs>